We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, the topic is abortion. And I'm going to tell you why this argument for pro-choice, pro-abortion, pro-termination of a child is unethical, immoral, and why it makes no sense. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thanks for listening into the show. As we wrap up the week, I'd like to end, I'd like to end on this Friday morning with a discussion of abortion once again. Why? Because it is the hot topic in the news. Obviously, with this leaked document from the Supreme Court. Sidebar, by the way, if they can find out where that came from, then people should be prosecuted, people should be fired. We cannot let this go and just treat it with a slap on the wrist. I, I saw Dinesh D'Souza posted yesterday that what if this is proven to have come from uh, Justice Sotomayor's office or one of her aides? What will we do about it? Now, I don't know for sure why D'Souza tweeted that. Does he have evidence? Is there any evidence whatsoever that this is coming from one of the liberal justices? Well, you'd have to conclude that it must have come from someone like that. I mean, who else had access to the draft? And if it did come from Kagan, if it did come from Sotomayor, if one of them or one of them released their aides to leak this document, what should we do? Well, I think there should be an impeachment. I think a lot of people would agree with that. We should impeach the justice who actually was behind this particular political play. This is very dangerous. You've probably seen that Antifa and some of the other radical left-wing groups are now posting the home addresses of the Supreme Court justices. Can you imagine being in their shoes, if you're a conservative justice in particular, or even if you're Judge Roberts, whom I don't consider to be that conservative, but he still is a swing vote, obviously. Can you imagine the pressure, the intimidation? Can you imagine what it would be like to be Justice Alito or Kavanaugh? Can you imagine if you were Amy Coney Barrett, can you imagine any of this and the, uh, the life that you'd be living right now, knowing that this uh, violence is imminent and that you can't get away from it, that they're going to have people outside your home? And it's not just people shouting on, you know, the good old days of protest. No, these are people that will get violent. There will be blood. There's no question. They've proven this. Antifa, uh, the anarchists, the radical left, basically the Democratic Party on down, they know that their violence will be not only ignored, they know that it will be defended by the mainstream media and by the political establishment. How do they know that? Well, look at the way we reacted to the Black Lives Matter protests and riots, the burning of Kenosha, the destruction of businesses, 
car dealerships, storefronts, and whatnot across the land. They know what our reaction will be. And when I say no, they are absolutely confident what the reaction of the political establishment in the United States will be. The best predictor of future behavior is always past behavior, and the past behavior of the political establishment, the media, is to enable and prop up and support the radical left to excuse away and even celebrate their violence as they, as they tear down and destroy the very fabric of our culture. The right to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Well, you don't have those rights any longer if you're on the wrong side of the political fence. And that's the argument of the left, that you're enjoying all those rights because of your privilege, because of intersectionality. Critical theory tears down all these things. And as we start teaching this or continue to teach it to our children in our public schools, you're going to see those ideas bear fruit in our public streets. That's what you're seeing right now in the reaction to the Roe v. Wade discussion. And remember, if this, if this decision by the Supreme Court prevails, as this leaked document has seemed to indicate it will, it, they're not telling anyone that they can't even get an abortion. They're just saying that we're giving the decision, we're pushing the decisions back to where it should have been in the first place, and that's to the states. That the Supreme Court shouldn't be making the decision for Michigan or for Texas, or for Colorado, or for California, for that matter. That's the decision. And some of us that are on the pro-life side of this debate don't even feel comfortable with that being the ultimate outcome. We don't think that California should have the right to execute children wantonly. We don't think that one-month-old babies should be killed. We don't think that a baby that is one second before birth is any different than a baby that is one second after birth, other than it's just moved. It's moved a few inches, and it, um, it's a second or two older. So nothing has changed other than age and distance. So, so why should we be killing these human beings? That's what's going on right now. These are the types of things that we're dealing with right now. And chaos seems to be in the offing. So on today's show, I want to talk about abortion. We've talked about it before, but I want to talk about some of the common responses from the pro-abortion, pro-choice people, and some of the responses that I'm getting on social media from the pro-life side. Uh, People that are actually shooting down these crazy, worn-out arguments that we've heard for some 50 years supporting the right to kill your child. So let's take a break, and when I get back, I'll share with you some of the stereotypical defenses of abortion and then some of the, the best responses in my view. I guess the main point is we can't let this temper tantrum of the cultural left to intimidate us into silence. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Again, that's Bonhoeffer. So in spite of all this junk that we're seeing, all of this intimidation, all of, this, um, all of these threats, this imminent violence, we cannot let down our guard. We cannot, we cannot reward them. We have to confront them. If I learned anything as a dean of students, it's this, that you have to be consistent, you have to be predictable in your enforcement of society's rules. Otherwise, society is meaningless. The culture collapses. That's why communities have codes of conduct. They're called laws. That's why 
colleges and organizations have honor codes. It's essentially their, their written law, and that when you're part of that community, when you're part of that culture, you have promised, you've given your oath, you've given your word that you're going to live by the standards of that community. And if you don't, there has to be a consequences for there has to be a consequence for breaking those standards. If there is no consequence, then the way the human psyche works, the way we function, the way our soul reacts to the lack of consequences is we just double down on our sin. Uh, it's called crime. It's called a violation of the law. It's called violence. It's called hurting other people. You see it on the news. That's what's going on right now. These people have learned that there's no consequence for their behavior, so their behavior is going to get worse. It's not going to get better. If you don't discipline a child when he throws a temper tantrum at two years of age because he wants that plastic toy at the grocery store, if you don't discipline him clearly, consistently, and firmly, it's going to get worse. He's going to continue to do it over and over again. He will never grow up. There's never any predictable consequence for his childish behavior, and therefore he continues to be a child. He grows up, and he pouts, and he prances. He protests selfishly in the streets because he doesn't like the fact that other people think there should be restrictions on killing children. All right, so with that as the intro, a long-winded intro for today, let's take a break, and when I get back, I'll share with you like I said, some of the stereotypical responses from the left, the pro-choice, pro-abortion people who think they have the right to kill a child. And then I'm going to give you some responses from those who are right, those on the right, those who believe that a child's life should be preserved just as much as anybody else's, preserved and protected and guaranteed by our Constitution and by common sense and basic morality. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to the rebellion. So one of the most prominent positions that you hear taken by the pro-abortion, pro-terminate your child, pro-euphemistically, pro-choice people, and I say that euphemistically because I think the issue of choice is a complete and utter distraction. This is a marketing term. This is not a reality term. It didn't take long for the pro-abortion advocates to recognize that they couldn't win the argument if the argument stayed focused on reality, and that is, this is a decision to terminate another human being. So they had to get off of the word abortion, because what does that mean? It means you're aborting something, you're terminating something. You don't abort cancer, okay? We don't talk that way about cancer, we don't talk about aborting uh, a tumor. We, we remove it. We cure cancer, but we don't talk about aborting cancer. Why is that? Because the word means something. Abortion means something different than cure or simple removal. So when the pro-abortion proponents realized that they couldn't win the argument if they focused on the clear and obvious definition of abortion. They, they, they moved the target. They switched the terms. That's where pro-choice came into play. Because nobody disagrees with protecting another individual's choices, right? Basically, we believe in being a free country and a free people, and people should have the freedom to make choices as to what they want to do on a given day. Therefore, we're pro-choice. And therefore, the whole debate shifted 
to protecting a woman's right to choose as opposed to protecting a baby's right to live and stopping a woman or anybody else from terminating that baby's life via abortion, aborting their life. All right, so my body, my choice. Well, this is a stupid argument because guess what? The body inside your body is not your body. I'll say that one more time. The body inside your body is not your body. The tumor inside your body is not a body. It doesn't have thumbs. It doesn't have fingers. It doesn't have toes. It doesn't have a beating heart. It doesn't have functioning lungs. It doesn't have a liver. It doesn't have a brain. It doesn't move. It doesn't suck its thumb. It doesn't feel pain, etc. That tumor has none of those characteristics. But a baby does because it's a separate human being. It's a body. So a body that depends on you because it doesn't have full independence of thought and function yet, that body that depends on you, that human being that depends on you, that isn't you. It's someone else. So one more time, the body inside your body is not your body. Okay? When Roe v. Wade was codified into law, we didn't have the ultrasound technology that we have right now, right? 50 years ago, we didn't, do, we didn't have that. But today we do. So what do we know as the result of having ultrasound technology? We know this, that you can see that body, you can see that other human being sucking its thumb, feeling joy and pain, responding to light. Uh, th- that other body is al- already showing signs of food preferences. Did you know that? That other human being recognizes its mother's voice. We know that. How do we know all this? Because we can see it. We can watch it real time through ultrasounds. Again, the obvious is that you can't see a tumor doing any of that. You can't see a wart doing that. You can't see a mole doing that because it's not another body. It is not another human being. They're treating a human being, they're treating a baby as if it's a wart, a mole, or a tumor, and that it should be removed because it's, it's, it's undesirable to the, to the woman to, to keep it. No, this is a human being. Warts don't suck their thumbs or feel joy or pain or respond to light or have food preferences. They don't recognize their mother's voice. So let's talk about science. You know, the left always says we... We believe in science. Well, science is pretty obvious here. The science of ultrasound technology shows that this is a human being. It's moving. Uh, did you know, and we can, we can tell all of this through ultrasound technology and other means, did you know that a baby at 16 days has a heartbeat? Did you know that? Did you know at 12 weeks it smiles? Did you know that its feet are developing, and they look fully mature. They, they are human feet at 10 weeks. Did you know that brain activity can be detected at five weeks of age? Did you know that a, a baby has fingerprints at nine weeks? These are facts. These are scientific facts. You can't say any of this about warts or moles or malignant tumors. Obviously. In fact, it's 
It seems almost absurd to be talking about it in these terms, doesn't it? But that's the logic of the left. That's the logic of the pro-abortion proponents. They want to ignore the fact that the heart is beating at 16 days, that feet and toes are fully formed at 10 weeks, that at 12 weeks the baby can smile. There's brain activity at a mere five weeks. And fingerprints at nine weeks. These, <laughs> this is science, people. So let's be the pro-science folks in the room and say, okay, let's respond to these facts scientifically and decide what we should be doing within the Constitution of the United States, which guarantees every citizen those self-evident truths, unalienable rights of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Life. No one has the right to take another human being's life. Nobody, nobody, nobody has the right to compromise another person's body. And the body inside your body is not your body. It's another person's body. So nobody, nobody has the right to compromise another person's body. Their rights to life, keep that body living, to liberty, to let that body, your body, everybody's body, enjoy their heart, mind, body, and soul, enjoy liberty, freedom. As long as they're not breaking your leg or picking your pocket, then let them be. Every man shall sit under his own vine and his own fig tree, and he shall not be afraid. That's a passage that, as I've shared before, George Washington shared with his friends, colleagues, and fellow founding fathers over 50 times in his correspondence. Every man, every human being shall sit under his own vine, his own fig tree, and shall not be afraid. What does that mean? That's a passage from Micah. It means that our freedom should not be impeded. It should not be compromised. It's our vine, our fig tree, our property, our fence, our gate, our home, our body, and we should not be afraid. Because in a civilized society, in a constitutional republic, those things are guaranteed to us. And we establish laws. They're all grounded in a Judeo-Christian ethic. That's why we see the prophet Moses actually carved into the freezework, the concrete and stone freezework of so many buildings in our capital, the Supreme Court being one of them. That's why we see the Ten Commandments repeatedly in the statuary and in the buildings, and in the artwork of the capital of the United States of America. That's why we see this stuff. It's because our system of law is grounded in the common assumption, the common understanding, the common sense, the natural law, the laws of nature and nature's God, that are, all of that represented in Moses, America's prophet, because he told us that these things will not be compromised by other people. Life, liberty, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness cannot be compromised by somebody else because your body is not their body. My point is, let's be pro-science. Let's be pro-science and talk about this particular objection from the left, that it's my choice. How can you dare compromise my choice as to what I should do with my body? We're not compromising your choice as to what you're doing with your body. And frankly, a sidebar here is this. If you want to avoid 
the consequences of being pregnant, then you might want to avoid the activity that leads to it in the first place. If you don't want to get pregnant, then don't get engaged in sexual activity that can lead to it. Oh, what a prudish thing to say. I can't believe that you're actually trying to restrict people's rights to engage in whatever sex, whenever, and however they want to have it. My land, what a stupid, stupid position for our country to be in right now. Are we really that immature that we think that we should have total and unrestrained sex however and whenever we want to have it, and that anybody suggesting otherwise is somehow wrong? We don't think that we have the right and responsibility and the ability to control ourselves? I sure hope that thinking adults can recognize what I'm saying right now and that there's one way to avoid having to ever make the decision of having an abortion, and that is to avoid the behavior that leads to the pregnancy in the first place. Do you think maybe, just maybe, it would be wise to return to those old ideas that sex sex should be preserved for marriage? One man, one woman, that's when you start having a sexual relationship with somebody else. It's after you're married, because at that point in time, because you've committed to one another under the sovereignty of God and his providence, that you will celebrate a child being the outcome of that marriage rather than look for various different ways to terminate and execute that child because you find him or her to be inconvenient in the way you want to live your lives. When you talk about it in these terms, it becomes rather grotesque and ugly, doesn't it? We actually want to execute a child because we find that child unwelcome at a given moment. Economically, socially, that child's going to compromise our career. We have too many other children, and therefore we don't want another one. Oh, we think this particular child might not be perfect. He or she might have some sort of physical or cognitive impairment. Oh, we, we, we were just told by the medical doctor that the tests indicate that the child will likely have Down syndrome. Well, let's kill it then. Let's just terminate that child because we don't want to deal with somebody who's less than perfect, less than perfect as we decide and we define, as we determine a human being should be. That's, that's where we are as a culture. and That's why you don't see very many Down syndrome children being born any longer because doctors are telling the parents and the parents don't want anything less than the perfect baby, so they're going to just kill one that in their eyes, is going to be compromised. Have you ever spent any time with a Downs kid? They're the most wonderful, happy, joyful human beings I've ever been around. In many ways, they're God's gift to us in our communities. And the parents of Downs children that I've been around just love them to death. They're having a blast with those kids. Maybe because in their innocence that seems to be preserved throughout their entire lives in some unusual way, maybe they have a more perfect mindset, perfection of soul. Maybe, maybe we're the ones that are compromised and not the Downs children. So the body inside your body is not your body. And when people hear this stuff, the statistics that I've shared with you before start to, start to show themselves in the public square. Today, we know about the impact of Roe 
on another person's body because we can see the scientific evidence via ultrasound technology that that other body has a beating heart, has fingerprints, and has a fully formed foot. We can actually see that that other body, that other person smiles, responds to light. We also know that that other human being experiences pain. We know these things, irrefutable facts. And therefore, we see the evidence working itself out in the public square that people don't like the idea of killing these other human beings as much as we thought they did. That the mainstream media and the Democrats and the political left have been lying to us about the majority of public opinion. No, we know that 67% of American people oppose sex selection abortion. Why? Because you're killing more females than you are males. That's a fact. This is very misogynistic. We know that 60% are concerned about the disproportionate number of minorities, i.e. blacks, that are being killed via abortion. Why? Because they know that we're killing functioning, functioning human beings that just happen to have the wrong color of skin. And that that's an abhorrent practice. We know that 50% oppose abortion through all nine months. Why? Because as the baby gets older in its mother's womb, it becomes more and more obvious that this is not the mother's body. We know that 55% of the American public oppose taxpayer funding of abortions or underwriting abortion providers such as Planned Parenthood. Why? Why are these numbers jumping out in the public square. It's because the more we talk about the facts, the more people realize that what we're doing today in the abortion clinic and Planned Parenthood, what we're doing today in the halls of Congress by justifying this butchery is no different than what was done in the justification of relegating blacks to less than human status, to the status of chattel during the abolitionist slave trade era. We know that it's no different than calling Jews less than fully human and trucking them off in cattle cars to Auschwitz and Dachau and putting them in labor camps and ultimately executing them there. We know that there's no difference between what we're doing to our youngest children today and what these butchers of history did to their unwanted citizens. We know there's no difference. Education matters. You can change hearts, minds, and souls if you continue to focus on the facts. And the fact is this. That body inside your body is not your body. It's another person. It's another somebody. It's another human being that deserves all the rights, freedoms, liberties, all the, all, all the protections that you deserve that every other citizen of the United States deserves. Every other citizen of the world, quite frankly, because we should be fighting for the same dignity of every human being across the entire globe. And I'm just gonna say it, anybody who argues differently is morally compromised and has blood on their hands. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.